I was flying way too close to the sun when I was younger. I, I had the most belief in myself possible. And so whatever problem I had early on was that I wasn't considering others enough. Especially like in like a corporate environment, I thought I was just the hot shit. So I was not cool and nice to other people who I didn't like think were carrying their weight. What's going on? You're listening to episode 113 of the Perspective Podcast, and I'm your host, Scotty Russell of Perspective Collective. The show is fuel for your mind and creative grind. Each week, my guests and I provide the tools for thinking bigger, overcoming adversity, and making an impact with your work. At the end of each episode, I share a listener of the week, so stick around to figure out how you can get a shout out on a future episode in the show notes as well as in the newsletter. This episode today is brought to you by our friends at Crop Conference. Crop is a two-day celebration of creativity, community, and inspiration. They bring in the world's top creative talent like past guests, Draplin, Lisa Congdon, and Tad Carpenter. Their upcoming April 18th and 19th lineup in Baton Rouge, Louisiana is no exception. Stick around for a killer promo code, and in the meantime, check out their Instagram, CropCons, or CropCons.com for the full lineup. Back in episode 104, titled Don't Die a Creative Copycat, we talked about stealing waves, writing waves, and making waves of your own. Stealing waves is a given. Don't plagiarize and jack people's shit, especially for profit, and always make sure to credit. And today's guest deals with this all the time, unfortunately. Writing waves is a little more tricky, especially when you're starting off. If it's too easy to bite someone else's style or rock the trend everyone else is doing. Ironically, standing out is hard to do when you're trying to fit in. Then you have the wave-making mavericks in the game. These are the creatives who tenaciously find ways to be different, even if it means going against the grain. They take risks. They expect failure and welcome it with open arms. Most importantly, they bet on themselves, take initiatives, and make things happen. And one of the biggest wave-makers I've gotten to know in 2018 works full-time freelancing with some of the biggest brands in the world like Facebook, Nike, Red Bull, Disney, Star Wars, and one of my favorites is Taco Bell. I like tacos outside of pizza. Bet you didn't know that. That's pretty rad and all, but when you mix in his surf skate apparel brand Chomp and the fact that he's a family man who also makes time to focus on his earthly being health, and you have a legend in the making. So today, I'm sitting down here with Joshua Ariza, and some of the things we chop it up over are tips on how he's grown a profitable apparel brand, taking risks and betting on yourself, using failure as a tool instead of an excuse, how concept is king, and the importance of standing out rather than writing trends, and using outreach to create your own opportunities. Listen to the end as Josh was a sweetheart and gives you a listener-only promo code to snag some of your own chomp apparel and be the envy of all your friends in 2019. You can find the show notes to today's episode at perspective-collective.com slash 113 filled with links to everything we talk about along with a ton of Josh's work. Let me know what you think of today's episode or share your biggest takeaway by taking a screenshot or video of you vibing out to this episode and share with me on your Instagram stories and let's connect. As always, keep an open mind and enjoy the ride. Let's go. I'm sitting here chopping it up with Joshua Ariza. Do you prefer Josh? Whatever you want, dude. <laughs> Josh, Joshua Ariza of Chomp Brand. Welcome to the Perspective Podcast, my dude. I know you're probably like tired of giving the backstory of things, but for me, like the story is what people resonate with most with. So for those who don't know, can you give a brief Wikipedia page summary about yourself? Born and raised in Florida. My first job as a graphic designer was my senior year in college. I worked at Purple Rock Scissors. And previously, that place was actually called Hydrographic when I worked there. It was an agency job worked super long hours and I've, I've heard the place is a lot different now, but when I was working there, I was grinding. That was my first job. And then my first job right out of college was Billabong. And then I moved out to California about 11 years ago. So I had a, uh, they paid to relocate me. I worked at Billabong designing board shorts, t-shirts, apparel, pretty much a, a dream gig for being right out of school. I didn't know you could make money like a full-time money working at a 
like at t-shirts, <laughs> but it turns out that it is a job and lots of people have had that job. Then I got recruited by Nike about three years after that. I worked in Nike for four years. I worked on Nike SB, Nike, what was called Nike 6.0, Nike Action Sports. I designed, once again, uh, a lot of t-shirts, a lot of headwear. And then I worked in women's sportswear for the last like year that I was there. And then they, then I left. I was basically getting pressured to move and I opted to, to leave the company. And then, uh, and then I've been a freelancer for the last so almost six years now. So, and, and my, my freelance has just been, you know, I've done a helmet for Red Bull with, which was a Red Bull athlete. Um, that was in the Olympics. I did all the star Wars stance socks. Um, I've designed for Airbnb, Facebook, Taco Bell. I like that one recently. Taco Bell a lot. Uh, quite a few bigger companies. And I think te- typically a lot of my work is in either apparel or in brand work uh, for big companies. So what made you take that leap just because you're getting pressured? And then how did you on the side, were you doing freelance or did they have like a not compete or like, how did you get into doing the full time leap of freelance before we jump into chomp? I don't know. I believed in my own work. So there was no like fear that um, I couldn't do freelance. Ultimately, it was like a monetary reason that I hadn't left. I I was ready to like, I was ready to go. And honestly, when you look up the pipeline, corporate pipeline for designers and stuff like that, you end up, if you could get to maybe the executive level, that might be interesting, but it's sort of a pyramid. Like it just gets more narrow at the top. And I was looking down that that road and going like, that's not anything I really want for me. And also like the skills that I'm going to learn there are more like extra presentation skills, building decks, art direction skills, and things that like I didn't ultimately really even care about or want to learn at that point, or felt like I was already good enough at and wasn't going to, you know, progress even anymore. But I was just working out one muscle, dude. I mean, when you're designed, I had been designing t-shirts for like seven years that time, like primarily designing t-shirts, you know, designing some headwear and other stuff but i was like dude i want to design everything i want to design logos branding packages i want to do editorial layout that kind of stuff i want to do iconography and and so it's just like i was it's like that guy who goes to the gym and just just like literally works out his upper body and like doesn't work out his legs at all no calves no calf people yeah or like they work out a ton and they can't play a sport you know what i mean like those those or they can't move their neck (laughs) yeah and it's like so I was that I was that guy. I worked out one one muscle group, and the rest of me was like atrophying. So um, I like consulted with my wife, who actually wasn't even working at that time. She had like she was in between jobs, so it was a huge risk. You know, I had I think I had like twenty grand in the bank, and we were like, hey, if we if I can't make enough to sustain, uh, it's like, and we get down to the say we're like or ten grand, you know, in our checking account, we're gonna I'm gonna take a full time job. I mean, I didn't have any shortage of like job offers at that point, but like, but that's ultimately why I left. Now I don't, I don't really advise a lot of people to go freelance. I used to a little bit more, but now I, I don't. I, I think it's a super risky thing for a lot of people. And I think you, you need to have money in the bank. You need to have a great looking portfolio. You need to have a network. The network is like the easiest thing to grow. If you don't have a good looking portfolio or any money in the bank, you are like risking a lot, a lot. So when I'm coaching Let's, I have coached or coerced people that into going freelance and they had all three and then they still failed at it. There's just, it's just one of those things. So I don't really worry about the future. I've had like a couple slow months throughout the six years that I've been doing it, but like, yeah, mostly been cruising, working too much. I work way too much. Dude. Yeah. And I want to talk about that later too, because you're definitely a grinder, which I relate to and you're a family guy. So You know, I want to talk about that in a little bit, but in the beginning, how did you attract work? Did people just come to you being like, yo, can you do this project for me? And you're just booked up with, you know, all the hours you put in the day job or then how did you start landing these bigger names? Yeah, man, honestly, it's just like a rich get richer situation when, when Nike's on your portfolio. Ah, all right. And you have things like that in there. The people, it doesn't even matter if the work is good, dude. They just like associate so much with the brand. It's, It's social proof. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just like it's been, it's been grinded into their brains that Nike is a pinnacle brand, and anyone who's worked for them is a genius. And look, I mean, I'm not a genius, and there's plenty of non-geniuses that work at Nike, but it was pretty easy to just hey, put that work in front of people. I, I'm I've always been kind of proud of my work, and so I was never shy about putting it in front of people. The easiest way to like build a network is to have good work and put it in front of people who have budgets. Okay, so. Y- 
my next question, did the work come to you through like a dribble or an Instagram or did you go out and promote yourself and, and, and attract these opportunities by putting yourself in front of them, taking initiative? This idea that like work comes to you is like maybe that fucking works for some people. It doesn't work. <laughs> no. I mean, like, <laughs> like, and I'm honestly, I'm, I'm being full, full out and honest. Like, I think if you're waiting for the fish to bite you to dig through and find your portfolio in the, the literal thousands of insanely good designers that are out there, like you're just, you're waiting to die. Like you're, there's no way that that'll work. Um, so ultimately like uh, there's no secret, but you just look, find art directors, brand directors, creative directors, and those people have budgets and they know good work when they see it, you show them their work and then they're, they're Hey, I'll have something for you right now. I'll have something for you later or kiss my ass. We don't need you kind of thing. And it's just kind of that way. It's a service, man. Like you just, what we're doing is plumbing. Like we're literally plumbers. Like we just, Hey, that's a thing I need. That's a utility that I need. Okay, cool, man. You can, you can go plunge my toilet. You can snake my toilet or whatever it is. Like, and the person that they're using is the person who's, who's last hung that door hanger on their door and said like, Hey man, um, I, we need a plumber. Oh shit. Somebody hung something on our door and we can just use that guy. And that's what we're going to use. Look, there's ultimately there are people who have very specific skill sets and people are coming to them to do collaborations, artists, people who have built a name for themselves. And that shit happens to them the other way. But if you're a graphic designer like me, you're like a blue collar designer, you're trying to solve like someone's uh, plumbing issue, then um, you better start hanging some things on some doors. I don't, and I've never been shy about that. And ultimately the worst that can happen when you're, when you hit somebody up is that they just don't hit you back. <laughs> yeah. Been there. Likelihood of them being like, yo, your work sucks or like you need help or something like this, like, or it being even a, a sour experience at all is just very, very low. Well, one thing that, that is a repeating pattern with guests is outreach and Jen and Amy, who I know you're really, really tight with through connecting things, but they're always talking about selfish, selfish, selfishly promoting yourself. Like don't be, shy about promoting your work and sharing it with the world and asking people to share your work. Yeah, no question. I mean, you, like in the, in the case of Jen and Amy too, they do a lot of like workshops. They sell like a lot of books and they also market to other designers. And so like they'll, you know, the way that they're so successful on dribble or, or Instagram or things that people are definitely following them for, which like their work is obviously amazing. Like it's, it's super duper good. Um, but they're also marketing towards other designers because they, they sell things to other designers, you know, and I don't really do that. They're providing that other service and spot a need. You know, people are probably like, yo, hitting them up with questions. They source those questions, provide a solution. Totally. And then build separate different channels of income from it for sure. Totally. They're, I mean, they're smart girls. They work super hard. And so, I mean, I don't think that you should be afraid of those things. I think probably just a fundamental issue overall is that people, people look at, at the channels of dribble and Instagram and they think that those would be revenue channels for them. And I think as a freelancer, it's, if I had to guess, I would say that's sort of a loss leader in terms of like getting the type of work you want, because those other designers aren't really the people who are going to be higher than you hiring you art directors might, you know, creative directors might, but they might not be fishing through those hashtags to find you. Um, they're more likely to pick your email, um, when it's sent straight to them and then hire you that way. I think garnering a huge following of mostly fellow designers, like unless you're selling a, a service for those designers or, or whatever, then, then that's, that's a more difficult route for, for freelance. That's why I think like follower count and Twitter follower count and those kinds of things. Like, it's just like, it's a, it can be a misconception in terms of like how busy somebody might be, you know, you can have 200,000 followers and be broke as fuck. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, that's gotta be true. Like, so I, I don't, you'll never really see me like trying to, to grind that hard on, on Instagram, like to, to post work. Any of the work that I post is always paid work and that kind of thing. Sometimes I'll have little passion projects, but ultimately my time is kind of booked up, um, because I have this other apparel line. Now, if I didn't have that and that, that tends to actually find its way getting marketed to other people who are makers and designers and that kind of thing. Let's talk about chomp as one. I always kind of wanted to know where the idea came from the name, and two, did it just start off as just a side hustle, a passion, uh, a passion project that's now 
blossom into so much more. When did you find time to create for yourself? And is that what creating for yourself turned into was Chomp? Chomp was never going to happen. I, I had this friend who was a buyer at a big box retailer and he just said, yo, look, man, I've, I see that you make stuff. And like, I had actually been doing some fun passion projects on the side. I made these posters called the Spanglish poster series. I'm half Dominican. So I think it's kind of funny that like, I only have like one foot in like, um, like a, a, Latin, a Latin culture. And so I'm, I was like just watching some, you know, movie on, I don't know, might've been like USA. And I was just like, what if this movie was like a Spanish drama or something like that? And like, I just did a poster that was kind of like face off as like a Spanish drama or actually a Mexican drama. And so that kind of like hybrid thing was like the first time I was like, Oh, I'm going to just try to market something and see, you know, if we can get, get people's eyes on it. Like, and that thing kind of pinballed. It got some press on it. And I was like, I'm going to keep doing some stuff. So I would just draw things in my free time. And my friend at this big box retailer was just like, look, man, I think you should start a brand. Like you've worked in all these other brands. Like you work for big brands. Like you should just be doing something on your own. If you make t-shirts, like I'll buy them from you. I have budget. And so like, like in terms of like winning the lottery, that's, that's like, I just, I got the ticket, man. I hit all the numbers at that point because there were meant that I wasn't going to have to like take any real risk on it. I mean, I have to front the money and I'm paid like 60 days later, but I mean, I knew I was going to get paid on it. And so you know, I think his first purchase was a three or $5,000 with the t-shirts. Damn. Like that's a lot. I used to run a clothing brand for four years before, like right when I got out of college, I know how much work and effort goes into it and lining up an investor or big order somewhere. So yeah. And so that kind of goes back to your network though, right? It's like you could spend all your time doing grassroots stuff and meeting people and selling t-shirts one at a time, or you can sell them straight to retailers and hope that they sell. And if they do sell, you'll get reorders. If they don't sell, they'll never reorder. So like, it's just a different type of risk. And so I was just given a lottery ticket at that point. And, and once again, it's just a rich, get richer type of thing. Like there's some people who work their asses off and they never get opportunities that, that I've got, you know, or, or whatever. There's times that I'm working my ass off and I'm not getting the fucking shot that somebody else is. Do you know what I mean? You might grind your whole life, just never been given the right shots, but like, it just turns out that you just want to be ready when those shots come. Like, okay, hey, man, like we're going to pull you off the bench. We're going to put you in for a big play. And it's like, dude, I've been training my whole life for this one play. You know, you're Nick Foles and you play in the Super Bowl, but you didn't play all season long. Or you're Mark Sanchez this last week with the Bears and you get called in and you stink it up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just it, there's all sorts of opportunities that come along the way. So I think that was one of them. They never really bought a ton, you know, like early on that first year. We did a collaboration with like another Instagram called Kook Slams and we made a bunch of fun looking like product around people who were like surfing and falling and just goofy ways that people get injured surfing. We collaborated on that and I think that first year we sold about $60,000 worth of product or something like that. Over like wild. kind of a short, you know, I think it was probably about a six month window. Anyone who runs apparel knows that it costs a lot of money to run an apparel brand. So it's not like... $60,000 was like, yeah, I'm $60,000 richer. I'm, you know, I had partners in some of those, like the, some of those collaborations. So that meant that, you know, half my profits going to somebody else. So at the end of the year, you know, I'm probably making like 10, 12 grand off of that 60 grand or something, just because of how much, you know, marketing and um, partnership, you know, money I had to lose. So the next year we did another collaboration that I thought was going to do just as good. And it just didn't, man, just, it flopped. And I thought the product was good, but the colors weren't right. Partly it was my fault. Partly I just didn't analyze the audiences right and sold into that product to retail and it didn't sell well at all. And it kind of hurt, you know, my, my potential to resell into, to wholesale accounts. So it's, it was just been up and down. So I think back to back years, we did about the same amount of money, but there was less, less time on the first year that we did business or, you know, it was less of a calendar year an opportunity to make money there. And then this next year, I just like, didn't, oh man, I was just like, I really thought this thing could blow up for six figures at least. And that kind of thing, it just didn't happen. Well, real quick. So people who don't know what chomp is like chomp clearly is a surf skate targeted kind of community. Right. But what is chomp first? And like, what's the essence of it? Just so people who, who don't know. Chomp essentially is a, at the time that I made it, there was all these like Mumford and Sons ass 
brands around. It was just like people with reclaimed woods and all these like hipsters who dress them like they live on Amish farms and stuff. And like, honestly, a lot of it looked really cool and like, but just like the tone of it was like just so serious, you know? And I, I liked some of it and wore some of it and I'm just like, but I'm like a kid who grew up like, you know, I liked and one graphics. I liked Santa yes. skateboard graphics. I like things that were just like irreverent, playfully irreverent, you know, just like silly, like just things that you wanted to look at and related to or whatever. And, um, so I was just like, whatever, I'm going to make a stupid brand. I want to make a brand that just, like, it almost stands for like nothing. It was about food. It's about, you know, skateboarding. It's about surfing. It's like just, but it's always like, there's a, has one foot in entertainment. And so like, um, that's kind of what it has been. And so when I, when I kicked it off, I mean, like my, all the, all the teas were just about silly stuff. Like, and also because it doesn't have any marketing and it had been at wholesale, like right away, like those teas, like you, you as a consumer, like you, Scotty Russell has to look at this t-shirt without knowing anything about this brand and then be willing to buy it, which is like, people don't know how rare that is. <laughs> Maybe some people are like that, but most people are not. They're buying brands that they like. They're buying brands that they're familiar with. They're buying brands that like Rihanna wore. I'm buying shit that resonates or relates to me that I want to rep and just like wave my freak flag like, hey, I represent this. Totally. I think most consumers just tend to like they're some they're not super brand loyal, but they are brand familiar. So like I want to wear I'm happy to wear Adidas, Adidas or Champion or any of these other brands that I had seen around or had made their way into the limelight. It's way harder to grassroots. Like if you think that you're going to sell your logo T-shirt with to someone who's not familiar with your brand, it's like impossible. Like you just you won't like that logo immediately. That, you would have to relate to it anyways. And I think Live Fit is a brand whose logo, like, people would probably buy it without knowing, like, what the brand is. They just, because the name of the brand is so, like, literal. But, yeah, so Chomp is just meant to be silly. And I started it just as kind of a, a just, like, as a revolt against just the seriousness of all the tone that was out there. I just wanted something fun, man. And so that's what it's been that like since the beginning it's always been there are we uh, we sponsor skaters we sponsor surfers but it's kind of for everyone is this pretty much just a playground for you to have fun and experiment and get those ideas out yeah i mean it it is that and then it's a the other thing is just like have you ever seen the join or die snake illustration it's like this snake but it's like chopped up i feel like i see so many chopped up snakes everywhere right now so they're referencing that join or die snake. And then there's other graphics kind of along along the way that like have been part of our life or been part of like the zeitgeist of culture um, for like a long time. People might not even know where they came from. You know, uh, what's that? Keep calm and carry on. Yeah. Like this concept. I was like wondering, can I make, can I do that? Like, can I make a graphic? Can I make some graphics that like, will live forever that, that they're timeless that they can like show up in different places and people sort of like relate to them that they're not like like hyper trend dependent you know what i mean like there there are things that people like everyone has kind of over those last year maybe two years has riffed on the smiley face in some capacity you know what i mean yep and so that, that that's like a trend to rift on the smiley face but i don't i don't really want to do those kinds of things like i'm not interested in just like okay everyone's riding someone else's wave yeah like or a rose, like everyone's drawing in my industry, especially at the retailers. I'm at, everyone draws roses and praying hands and those kinds of things. It's like, and it's fine, but it's just not very unique to those brands. You know what I mean? Like how you get to distinguish is this chomp compared to what everybody else is doing? And we could do that if we know it would sell and we know it would sell at retail and stuff like that. But ultimately, it's just kind of like it's a bit harder to stand out in that capacity. And if you want legacy, you want things that. Like I'll keep referencing Santa Cruz skateboards. Like Jim Phillips is probably one of my favorite illustrators. And like he made these graphics that they're just so weird. And I just think that they're going to last forever. Like I'm going to look at them forever and they'll be meaningful to me forever. And not that Chomp is timeless looking. I'm not, I'm not saying that. It's the belief system behind it, which I vibe to the most and try to like encourage people, like stop trying to fit in and rise above the noise and be different stand out put your own flavor on something stop trying to cater to what you think people want and i think that's what you embody yeah i was talking to um chuck anderson of 
I think he's CSA design. That guy's awesome. He's just kind of an OG. People people might not know him if they're too much younger, but pretty much designs all the French paper stuff for those who don't yeah, know. Yeah, I love his stuff. And and we we're talking about risk, and he was just and he, we were just talking about how clients are averse to risk. They hate risk. They don't want to create something that they have never seen before. Like it doesn't make them feel, or they don't want to do something that looks too different from their industry. Like, like there's like an industry standard and they want to play ball and like what that looking feels like. But ultimately by not taking risk, they're taking more risk. Like they're like, they're basically saying like, we, we want to look the same as everyone else. And it actually hurts your brand in the long run. So this is why, like, I think the concept of trends, like there's like macro trends, right? There'd be like a trend that like, okay, everyone's wearing like a jogger right now, or like everyone's wearing like track suits or, you know, when there's like some trend that's happening, that'd be like a macro trend, but then there'd be like a micro trend, like, okay, like I'm the graphic designer who, who riffs and draws in this type of way. And it just turns out that there's like a hundred other people doing that exact same thing too saturated. And when that trend goes, like sometimes people might move on from that look like you need to evolve. So that's why I don't, I don't advise people who are doing brand work to, to, to replicate other trends that are happening in the marketplace. I don't, I don't do brand work for people that looks, uh, or I, t I attempt to not do things that look trendy because, um, I think two years from now, five years from now, it's ultimately a, a, a big mistake. So I think with chomp, like no question, like it adheres to some trends and that like, you know, it has a big back hit and like a small front hit or something, you know, like a workwear t-shirt or whatever. But like in terms of like imagery and content, I think the most meme-ish shirt we did was like one that says, um, it says uh, flat earth round waves. Yeah, I dig that. That's one of the, the newer ones. Yeah. And we're kind of just like the concept is like, I, yes, I'm talking directly to like culture at that point. You know what I mean? So I think it's okay to like do some of those things but in terms of like look and feel like I want to, I want to try to be different. I don't know if I am that different, you know what I mean? But I'm just saying like it's, it gets difficult when, when you're trying to build a brand, but off of the types of imagery that other people are already riffing. I think this is all gold, regardless if it's someone in the audience listening who does branding or full-time freelance for other people, or is just someone trying to get their foot in the door and make their own waves instead of, you know, trying to copy out what everyone else is doing. Like Instagram is just full of trends of people. The shit that pisses me off the most right now, I'm not one to vent, but when they place all these pens in a photo and then they digitally impose something and nothing was even used in this photo. Like <laughs> it's, oh my gosh, I could show you like, it, it's just misleading and it dilutes the craft of like what really goes into like drawing by hand. I need to give a huge shout out to Matt and Ariadna Dawson for putting on Crop Conference. They've produced five sold out events in three short years through their crop and pop-up crop events. This coming up April is no slouch either. Expect two full days of workshops, speakers, after parties, and plenty of opportunities to build new relationships with like-minded people. That's most important. And this year includes big names like Lauren Hom, James Victory, and John Contino, to name a few. Plus, your boy's going to be there too. So here's a podcast listener only deal. When registering for Crop 2019 in April, use the promo code PIZZA. I know, super original. Use the code PIZZA to be automatically entered to win a free ticket to their future pop-up crop fall event. Potentially, that's pretty much giving you two conferences for the price of one, and you cannot beat that. Again, use promo code PIZZA, register at CropCons, like conference, C-O-N-S dot com today, as I promise you, this one will sell out just like all the other ones they've done. How do you work? What's your workflow? Is everything digital or do you sketch by hand? I don't see much of your sketch. I think I've seen like maybe one or two thumbnail concepts from you before. Yeah, I'll do thumbnail concepts. I mean, I don't really like, I think there's a margin of error and then there's like, there's just like an efficiency at workflow. Like I'll draw on the computer either with a mouse or sometimes a Wacom tablet. Are you Cintiq? I have like this, yeah, this, old, I don't have a, a Cintiq, but I have like a older Wacom. In Tuos? Or yeah, into us. Okay. And honestly, I don't really love it that much. Like, I just like feel like 
well, until the iPad Pro, the new one just came out. Like I haven't really been interested in that iPad Pro massively changed my life. Holy shit. I was like romanticizing by analog. Like fuck all these people just drawing on iPads. Then I got one. I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. Now I have to force myself to draw by hand again. It's pretty fascinating because it's like if things, a lot of things are becoming digital, but they're like their whole intent is to look like things that were made in like a tactile world. Yes. I still think that's fine. Like it's okay. But like, let's say wood, wood blocking, which is probably like my favorite type of illustration, which I think just looks so rad. Like it's basically all become digital now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, it's just so interesting. Like, let's say a hundred years from now, like, will people even know what, wood what that is? <laughs> what wood blocking is? That's actually a good point putting in a different scenario. Cause I live in that lettering illustration world, but that's a good point. I work, you know, mostly, you know, drawing either my mouse. I do thumbnails and stuff, but that's mostly for clients and stuff or composition and stuff. I think concept is a lot better than composition for me. Like concept to me is ultimately like, I, I don't want to say better. I think that that sells like if we're talking strictly about t-shirts, concept sells better than the illustration style or composition. I, I would agree. You can flip whatever concept you have in a bunch of different illustration styles, but you have to come up with like good concepts first. And this is something that I learned, you know, in terms of art directing at, at Nike specifically is that we would, we'd come up with these concepts and we would just kind of flip the decide, like uh, we could go with this art direction style. We could go with that art direction style. And like, how do we want to execute on it and which one will help it sell the best? I mean, obviously there are trends and things that you want to kind of like match that are in the marketplace, but like, you you concept is 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 kind of most of the the ball game i think i think like if you're being hired for your brain like you want to be respected as a creative not just like as a a person who makes things like working on your concepts is like really going to be the thing that sets you apart i dig that yeah a lot of times when i'm art directing do it like i'll do like a what's called line planning for like apparel companies so that means that they've given me either their entire t-shirt line or you know most of their t-shirt line and we go through and we decide like there's going to be 15 types, 15 concepts. We're going to have this one be this concept, this one be that concept. And each one of them will be not only just a different concept, but like the art direction will change from each one too. So like there's a macro like art direction in that, you know, this brand is this type of look or it's this type of consumer. But you want in terms of selling to wholesale, you want all your t-shirts to look different so that like they'll a buyer is more likely to buy multiple t-shirts instead of just one. Because if they buy two t-shirts that look the same, one's going to sell way better and they might as well have just bought that one. So they, they're trying to merchandise a better story, like a bigger story. So um, I don't know if that went over everyone's head or, or if that was <laughs> like, you're, if you're going to show 15 t-shirts to like a wholesaler who's going to buy from you, you want to make sure every single one of those is worth buying. And the way that you do that is by making sure that they all look different. And so a lot of what I do in my daily work is sort of line planning in that way. But still heavy concept first. Yes. Concept is king, I think, to me. It, concept is king. For just like, especially for relating to your audience. Because once again, like if you're working for a smaller brand, like, look, why do people like still keep liking things, of illustrations and, um, and especially typography about coffee? Like it's because they like coffee a lot, man. It's a relatable thing. And I'm doing a coffee series. I'm in the middle of it right now in the past that we're talking. So, and plus it's relates, it's, it's a community driven thing and coffee lovers unite. You grind at a coffee shop or grind first thing in the morning with your work and have some coffee. Like that's, that's my life. Totally. You rise and grind. Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly it. Relatability is like ultimately why people are buying things. And just like you said, like you're, people are trying to relate to stuff. There's no, I mean, that's not a secret at all, but I think in terms of like riffing on things that people like, there's lots of things people like, and you just want to, you want to carve out some niche for yourself that might be interesting or funny. Like if you're trying to entertain people, I mean, the hand lettering thing is just like insane to me. There's so many good people doing it. And there's like, you have some guys who are just like Seb, um, is it Seb Lester? And that guy's just like a human robot. Ripping <laughs> logo, logo yeah. types just with every different kind of utensil possible. Oh, yeah. It's just like a, almost like a circus performer or something like that. Yeah, that's definitely the entertainment factor. 
Yeah. And then you have some people that, you know, just say inspirational things that people relate to and just got to have your own angle, your own flavor. Yeah. And experiment to find it and then figure out what you like, what you're good at, and then find that market. What do people engage with? What do people resonate with? And then tap it. Yeah. So like Chomp's consumer base is really just like irreverent people who think things are funny and they tend to live near coastal cities and, and that kind of thing. So we're always kind of like riffing on that. Um, it's just, it's a lighthearted thing. I mean, the flat earth t-shirt, like I can't believe how many we've sold of that t-shirt. <laughs> I would rock the hell out of that one. That one's hilarious. You don't know what's going to work usually, but. It's, it's, you got to keep getting up to the plate and keep swinging. But one thing from the outside looking in that people like you make look so easy. And that's why I try to be transparent about it from my point of view of the shit I struggle with is like hustling your full-time job for you, which is freelance making time to do your side passion, your grind of chomp, which actually brings in like revenue as well, but then making time for yourself, your mental health, your physical health, and most importantly, your family. Yeah. How, how do you manage it all? I oh, do, man. Good question. Here, let me put some context around this. Are you a routine schedule driven person or do you just show up each day and just like go with the muse or strike while the iron's hot? Or do you have like a set schedule? I wake up here, work out this time and plan yeah. your day like it depends on the time of year i mean once you you know once you have a kid your schedule just is, scheduling is just like way harder to to deal with because you i mean you have like an x factor that you just don't know how it's gonna mm-hmm. behave or act if i don't do my mornings if i don't get up early before i go to work like i'm probably not gonna get anything done for the day and then if he wakes up early then you know that day's shot i know that when i have a routine i feel like i'm in the flow i'm, I'm a lot more productive um uh, I was working two months this year, man. Like I worked, I was working 60 hour work weeks. Like it seemed like every week for like a long time. And then amidst that, I decided that I was going to like train for a triathlon and train for like a half marathon. And like, it was just the dumbest shit I could think about. And so like during, during that time I was kind of like all work, all exercise, all family, and then kind of no, no free time for fun. Like almost like really nothing, just like me doing it. It's okay to like there there to be like seasons. Yes, I was just gonna ask is the thing seasons for you? Like that's why I like training for whatever event that I'll be training for next. I think we're gonna try and do a half Ironman or something. It's okay to just be like I'm busy for this month or I'm busy for these two months. Is the spouse really responsive? Dude, my wife is so cool. That's that's dope. It took me for a while to get have my wife see the vision as well. And that got me into some trouble. And she puts me in check if I'm like working too hard. But you also have to take risks. I mean, it's not like it's not like the perspective podcast is like a completely like it's not <laughs> there's definitely people who are taking risks on like way riskier things. Like you're seeing results on the perspective podcast that you're that, you know, are already good. There are some guys who are like in my free time like I'm going to be a singer and you know, they're not they don't have any talent or something, you know what I mean? Like I've actually met people like that who are just like, yeah, man, I just want to be a singer songwriter and they just don't have what it takes. And they're, they're betting the farm on that. I mean, I think there's a bit of calculated risk. So it's like, you want to give yourself some runway. So one, one thing that happens a lot of times, people I know who start side, side projects, they kind of give up on them because one, either like they've set their expectations like too high for like the results of it. Like they started something and there was this grand, you know, reveal of what that thing was and it just didn't work for them and they just gave up on it really soon and and that happens or they realize that it's going to take a lot more work than they planned on and shit just doesn't happen overnight totally two stories real quick first one is the first comment that was ever on instagram we launched a brand with zoomies um or rather we launched the brand and zoomies like posted about the and zoomies is one of our retailers and they yeah, you know, something like half a million followers. So we're getting a bunch of hits. We're getting a bunch of followers early on. And uh, first comment was like, some kid gets right to the graphic. I didn't have any comments, I don't think. And some guy kid goes, yo, these teams fucking suck. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> he adds LOL to it. And that's that's like your bio on Chomp Instagram. <laughs> yeah, dude. If you want to talk about like, okay, having your expectations shorted quite a bit, like set your bar there. We sold some stuff early on through Ecom, but I was definitely like putting in time on a thing that who who knows if it was ever going to make money. There's tons of people who um, 
have really bet on themselves and it's not worked out too. And it didn't mean that what they did was a failure. It just turned out that it wasn't the right market fit or people weren't ready for it. And I was, dude, there was times that I was at Nike or I was at Billabong and we were banking on some, you know, silhouette or style to really, really work. And we were pushing all our marketing behind it and it didn't work at all. So we're talking like successful companies are also making those mistakes all the time. And a lot of it's just take a hit on the chin and really it's setting you up for the next thing. Yeah. You just, okay, now we're on to something new, whatever. Like it didn't work for that reason. You try to safeguard against those types of things. Like I wouldn't ever tell someone, oh, start a side thing and then produce a bunch of physical product in hopes that you can sell it. That's what a lot of people are doing though. <laughs> yeah. Don't, I'm not, I would never tell anyone to do that. I put a little bit more risk now into like to our like e-com stuff because we really want to grow that part and make that big. But like there's virtually no risk when I started my apparel company. Like, I don't know if you can set yourself up for a situation like, okay, you want to start an apparel company or whatever. There's a ton of like, um, print on demand companies that will fit right in with your Shopify and you can take no risk. You can just draw the thing and they'll print it for you. You won't make money on it. That's okay. Ultimately, you're not really trying to make money in the beginning. Like if, if making money is your objective and like a, a like an apparel stem, standpoint, you're going to have to wait some time. It's the network and building an audience and being a way to connect your design of why they should care. Exactly. So I think betting on yourself doesn't have to be like emptying your bank account to create a bunch of things. Everything right? I've done has been a slow risk, a lot of time. A lot of like the first year or two, nobody listening or paying attention, wondering like who the fuck is paying attention. And and now finally you're starting to reap some rewards for it. Real quick before we go into rapid fire question, you kind of already been talking about things like this, but what's one piece of advice you'd give to your past self when you were just starting out or maybe you were just stuck and, you know, full of doubt or comparison? You know, what's one piece of advice you'd give to yourself? Oh man, I wish I could tell you that when I was younger, I had any doubt <laughs> by itself. I had whatever the opposite of I had I was flying way too close to the sun when I was younger I, I had the most belief in myself possible and so whatever problem I had early on was that I wasn't considering others enough I didn't like especially like in like a corporate environment I thought I was just the hot shit so I was not cool and nice to other people who I didn't like think were carrying their weight and um and I don't think I was like I wasn't like directly mean but I didn't respect like certain peers in the ways that I could have. I didn't have reverence for them in the ways that I should have. I wasn't snotty, you know, I wasn't getting reprimanded or anything like that. But I just, when I was younger, I wish that I would have considered that other people have like good points of view and that, that they, that they had things to offer in the, in the sphere, um, that I was working on. I wish I hadn't been so hubristic. I mean, if you're fear filled with fear and doubt, like about taking certain risks, I think there's a couple things that you can put in place to like safeguard against like not failure because you're never going to not fail. You will always fail. Once again, risk like to risk things is to end up failing. It's not, this, this is just part of the gig. Um, so like, um, hold on. I don't want to get derailed too much, but I watched this documentary last night and this like surfer was saying like he surfed on his name's Taylor Knox. He surfed on the tour for 20 years. And he said to surf on the tour for 20 years, never win a world title means to mostly lose. It means to be a professional surfer and mostly lose. So like, just consider that, <laughs> just consider the fact that you can be a professional athlete and mostly lose that thing. Alan Iverson, Charles Barkley, all these people, no, no all ships. These guys never won ships. Reggie Miller. Yeah. So like, the whole ball game is that just expect failure. That's fine. Or, or expect to just not do as good as you expect. I mean, or, or would hope to expect. What's the worst that can happen be against what's the best that could happen? Yeah. Let's finish this up with some rapid fire questions. Let's go. All right. This is always my favorite one. If you were on death row, what would your last slice of pizza be? Oh, dude, just depend on my mood. Like if I was somber and I was probably going to die, I'd be worried I was going to throw it up. So whatever the lightest thing possible is. But you're but on death I, row, man. You're going to – it doesn't even mind. It doesn't matter. I, I like mushrooms, onions, sausage, and black olives quite a bit. Making it your own or is there somewhere around your area? I like Napa Valley, which is like really close to my pla place. Napa Valley Pizza, that's probably where I go. They know my order right away, so – all right. A regular. Good. 
Yeah. If you could have lunch with one person dead or alive, who would it be and why? LeBron James seems like a good person to like chill with. I'd just be curious how he got so much like confidence in himself. Are you a Lakers fan too? No, I hate the Lakers. But I just think he seems like a great guy. No, I genuinely hate the Lakers. Damn, and I genuinely love the Lakers. And I just wanted you to tell to tell you that if you liked the Lakers before LeBron was there, I fully respect you. I'm 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 back there in the Shaq days. If you like the Lakers after LeBron was there, then you are just a garbage person. Bandwagon. Bandwagon. Yeah, you're probably also a Golden State fan on the side. No, I hate. I hate. That was the only team I hate more. If you grow up being an Orlando Magic fan, you hate every other successful team. Like you, you just have to. And if you switch teams and you're in like your mid thirties, like you switch teams to like another team, you're a sellout. <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, script Serif or Sans Serif? I feel like I know this one. What would you say? You're Sans Serif, dude. Yes, so yeah, I think that's probably true. Quite sense. Yeah, I don't see you use too much uh, uh, serifs in your work. No, no. Who is right now though? I like a slab serif though, man. Okay, so I'll use slab serif. Let's go with that. Okay. Uh, what's your current go-to typeface or your favorite overall? I think I saw this on Twitter. Someone asked you. <laughs> I didn't know if that was. I don't know if that was like a legit response, so I have to ask it. Oh man, I've been making a joke about how I use DIN for every project for like years. I guess I got to say DIN, but like the brand font for Chomp is actually tungsten. It's like a modified version of tungsten. I mean, let's, I got to say tungsten, I guess, because Chomp uses that. Okay. Where do you seek your inspiration online and offline? Oh, dude, free writing. They do a lot of free writing and word association stuff to help me come up with concepts. So that, it's not actually even sketching. You actually write. Yeah, but um, it's more like here's a list of objects that I think would be interesting to draw. Here's a list of like concepts of things that are relatable in regular life. And I just kind of start to mirror and push them together. That's actually dope. Like nobody's <laughs> ever given that answer before. That's pretty much what I did with Perspective Collective and throwing things around to even get to that. But yeah, like I, I guess if I was saying if you're stuck on an idea and you're just having trouble, like just coming up with any concept, what am I going to draw today? What am I going to draw for this client? Uh, let's say specifically like you're drawing for a client in, I don't know, surf industry. Uh, let's go with surfing because whatever, that's an easy one. You can write down a list of like words or objects or things that like might be interesting content. And once you kind of list a bunch of them, you can kind of riff on like which ones work together. So, you know, pineapples and surfing skulls, surfing uh, uh, palm trees. Uh, and there's all sorts of things that are sort of like beach related that could be interesting to draw and then just keep riffing i don't know something about free writing has always really worked for me interesting i'm gonna have to start plugging that when people ask you to get stuck on ideas and i'll reference this so that's actually that's a nice little angle yeah i mean it's all i'm the only one i know who does it but it's way easier that way for coming up with concepts where can people go to follow you and support you yeah follow follow my apparel line called at chomp brand c-h-o-m-p-b-a-r-a B-R-A-N-D, Chomp Brand. I think I spelled that wrong. Or you can go to chompbrand.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Joshua underscore Ariza. I mostly make jokes and post my design there. And I write Rise and Grind pretty much every morning. Just like it's been this long standing joke that pretty much only five people understand at this point. But, but if you like jokes, design, and then the occasional shot at Trump, then you'll like my Twitter account. And Instagram, you pretty active on Instagram, Joshua? Yeah, you can go Joshua underscore Ariza. You can find me there. And then I do post design there too. But, you know, once again, it's a snapshot into my life. So I'm not one of those Instagram designers who like you're only going to get design content. I don't, I don't want to disappoint anyone. <laughs> well, dude, I sincerely appreciate your time. I'm stoked we got to make this work. And anything I can do to help promote Chomp or a new season drop or anything that comes out, you know, just holler in and, you know, I can push it. Look, man, I just like... The only thing I want to close is just like, dude, we're living at the best time right now for graphic design, illustration, self-promotion. There are so many good designers. There are so many people making really, really rad things. I'm super stoked to be part of any part of that conversation, to be a person who gets to participate in design right now. Like, It is such a fun time to be making things. And if you want to take risk right now and you want to just hit me up and you want to show me what you're working on, I'll take a look at it, whatever. And um, just, dude, this podcast is great. Thanks for having me. I'm super pumped. All right, man. Appreciate your time. We'll keep in touch. Sure, thanks. All right, peace.
All right, PC family, Joshua Ariza of Chomp. Josh has some serious talent, some serious work, but I also really dig that he doesn't take himself too seriously. As promised, I have a tasty promo code for you. Listeners of this podcast get 15% off discount from his shop with promo code PERSPECTIVE when purchasing your merch at chompbrand.com. Support him by snagging something from his shop and be sure to follow him on his mentioned social media handles. You know the drill. Go pepper Josh with some love if what he had to say today made an impact on you. Josh, thank you so much for your time, dude. We appreciate what you do as well as what you do for the community. Thanks again, my man. If you've been enjoying what you hear and you want to support the growth of the show, here are a few ways you can make that happen. First up, if you want to support the show financially, you can go to patreon.com slash perspective podcast and back the show. Next, subscribe and leave a rating review in Apple Podcasts. The subscribing part is so important as that's what helps climb the charts in the design category, but also it lets me return the love by giving you a shout out as a listener of the week. It also gets your name mentioned in the show notes as well as in the newsletter. This week's listener of the week comes from Anita Weissen. I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher that handle, but it comes from the UK and it's titled Most Motivating Podcast. She states, a big shout out to Scotty for being the interviewer and influencer that we all need. The podcast is good quality, both technically and when it comes to content. I always wait for it to come out on Wednesdays. Waiting for that one hour that always leaves me extremely inspired and feeling like I can do anything I want. Keep it up, Scotty. Thank you so much, Anita. That was sweet and extra kind of you to take the time to leave that. I sincerely appreciate you and I'm hoping you're hearing this. And as I wrap things up, I want to give a huge thank you to my podcast editor, Anya Brennan, and my executive assistant, Paige Garland. Thank you so much for all that you do for me. Also, a huge thanks goes to Nick Jenkins of Bluka for all the dope theme music you hear on this show. He just put out a new EP called Foreign Objects, so go listen and support him at SoundCloud, Spotify, and Instagram at Bluka. That's B-L-O-O-K-A-H. And as you finish off your week strong, I want to continue to encourage you to keep showing up, keep putting in the work, and keep creating. You got this. You got this.